Huh, I didn't realize That's that. That's an interesting question. You know, I've never heard of it from that So let's talk about that. Let's talk you know, about I think you need to come over, stand in my shoes, agree to disagree. Hi, Julie here, back with another bonus episode from the Top of Mind Archive. I've been digging up some of the conversations that I haven't been able to let go of, the ones I find myself referencing over and over again in conversations. And I've noticed many of those happen to be interviews about race. Until about 15 years ago, I hadn't given race much thought. I grew up white in a very white community. No one in my life was a person of color. And then I moved to the South to work as a reporter in the mid-2000s. And that's when I started to realize how little I really understood about the reality of race in America. How fundamental it is and has been to every aspect of life in this country. I knew I needed to educate myself. And every interview related to race that I have done on this show over the last seven years has inevitably brought with it some flash of new clarity on this issue, followed, of course, by a lot of new questions. The interview you're about to hear is one of those. In 2019, I spoke with Sarah Valentine about the memoir she had just published. It's called When I Was White. Note the past tense. She grew up believing she was the white daughter of her white parents. And when anyone questioned that, she just shut them down. There was even one time when a high school guidance counselor suggested she apply for academic scholarships for minority students. And Sarah Valentine's like, "Uh, no, I'm not a minority. I'm white. She was 27 when she finally learned the truth. And that's what her memoir is about. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for taking time today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. The whole time I was reading this book, I kept doing what I imagine a lot of readers have been doing, which is flipping back to the author's photo uh, and to this <laughs> yes. and to this really cute picture of you and your two brothers, your younger brothers on the back when you were little. And because I kept I mean, you, you clearly look different from them. But you believed you were white. Like you, you, there was never a question in your mind? I did. And looking back at all of those photos, even at the time, it was very obvious that I looked different. But because my parents never told me anything different, and as a kid, if your parents are saying, hey, you're our biological daughter, basically, there was no reason for me to suspect anything else. I couldn't be a different ethnicity without another parent that represented that. So because no one in my family talked about it, because no one in my community talked about it, I just assumed that I was like my brothers. Your parents were completely and thoroughly committed to this story, the way you tell it. Uh, So how did they explain that your skin was many shades darker than theirs and your brothers and that your hair was very different from theirs? There were all kinds of stories. The main one was that my mom's family was Southern Italian and my dad's family, uh, which was Irish American, our last name was Dunn. And they always said, well, Dunn means the dark clan hmm. in in Ireland. So uh, and one of my uncles on my dad's side had curly hair. So there were all kinds of ways that they rationalized the fact that I was darker. They described my skin as olive toned or tan rather than brown. Uh, So there was always a way to explain away why my coloring and features were different. Talk about some of the moments that you, um, some of the disconnect that you experienced, though, 
uh, when people outside of the family would sometimes say things, like just kind of stumble into it? Well, uh, the questioning of my identity started when I was very young. Uh, we moved to Pittsburgh when I was five, and as soon as I got into kindergarten and first grade, other students and uh, adults and teachers would ask me what my background was, what was my ethnicity, uh, who my parents were, because there didn't seem to be anyone in the community that, that fit with me. And so I got those questions from a young age and I would answer, well, I'm Irish and Italian, that's <laughs> what my parents are. Uh, and because those questions, sometimes people would ask if I was African-American, they'd ask if I was all different ethnicities, if I was Indian, if I was um, from the Middle East, all, all kinds of things. and. I could never give them a satisfying answer. So as I grew into high school, my friends would joke that the uh, ethnic demographics of our school would change depending on how I wore my hair that day. It was something my friends and I always joked about because we didn't have a direct way to address um, why I was different. We didn't have a direct way to talk about my difference because it was again, something that my family, as you say, was totally committed to avoiding. Um, so did it, I mean, did it upset you in any way when the guidance counselor or a friend of a friend would assume that you were a person of color? It didn't upset me. It was something I had learned to take in stride by that time. And when I talked to my dad after that incident with the guidance counselor, because by then I was 17 or 18, I was applying for college. There were, uh, you know, discussions about scholarships and, and what my college experience was going to look like. So after that incident, I really thought about it. And after school, I talked to my dad. I said, listen, my guidance counselor recommended that I apply for a minority scholarship. Is that something I should do? And Without missing a beat, he said, no, that would be dishonest. You'd be taking a spot away from someone who really uh, needs or qualifies for that. And then he paused and said, don't tell your mother about this. So it was clear that he knew something was going on, that this subject was taboo in our family. And even though I did have doubts at that point, his response reinforced the fact that, no, even though people mistake me, you know, that's what I thought people were doing, mistaking me for someone who was black or uh, of a different ethnicity. I really need, I really needed to stick with my family story. Yeah. Uh, loyalty and, yes. um, you know, I guess also not wanting to rock the boat. Like y you did not feel like it was a question you could ask. Like, am I adopted? <laughs> Am I? Right. Like, what? what's going on here? Right. I understood, even though I couldn't verbalize it at the time, that this question, this topic was off limits. Uh, in a different situation, maybe when I asked that question, a different family might have said, okay, this is an opportunity for us to talk about Sarah's background. She's a teenager now. She's, uh, you know, able to handle what information we might tell her and could have broached the subject that way, perhaps as parents of adopted children might have done. Mm. In my case, there was just such a high level of denial and avoidance happening that having that conversation with my parents wasn't even a possibility. What was your understanding of race 
growing up? Like what it meant, whether it mattered? It did seem to be something that mattered. I grew up in a predominantly white community and race was never something that was talked about directly. So anything I understood about race was inferred from the media, uh, often negative stereotypes in the media about African-Americans. And I write in the book about learning very early on that white people were normal and that black people and people of other backgrounds were different. And there was a sense of whiteness being normalized and thinking I belonged to that normalized group. So to me, African-Americans seemed very other. And I write about an incident where in first grade, I'm playing with some of my friends. A black girl gets a nosebleed and I wonder if the blood that comes out of her nose will be a different color. That was the extent to which I had internalized the idea that black people were somehow fundamentally different. Which, I mean, (laughs) we'll, we'll get to sort of what a what a mess that made of your mind <laughs> when, right. you know, when you start, when you learned the truth that you were, that you are black. Mm-hmm. Um, how did your mom specifically deal with matters of race? I mean, you, you gravitated to some extent, it seems like towards, uh, towards black boyfriends and towards black culture, but your mother was not okay with that in any way. Yes, that's true. Especially in high school. Again, as I started to recognize that other people saw me as different, that I felt I was different in my looks, and that there was just some disconnect between what my family was telling me and what I experienced, but I still couldn't definitively put those pieces together. Without thinking too much about it, I started to gravitate towards images I saw in the media. It was the age of MTV and Yo! MTV raps. That's when I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so those you know, just seeing other people that look like me on TV was very validating in some way, but it was still confusing. I remember one instance, there was, it was either a Bobby Brown or an MC Hammer video, and there were background dancers. And one of my brother's uh, young friends pointed to the TV and said, Sarah, you're on TV, because he had not really seen any other uh, brown skin girls with long curly hair. And so that was that was his, I was his only reference point for someone who looked like that. Hmm. So it was both very confusing. And of course, my mother went out of her way to try to distance me from those things. Uh, she took away wrap tapes I had or any T-shirts that seemed too urban with uh, images of basketball players on them. Uh, she cautioned me against interracial dating when a black boy wanted to ask me to a school dance. So it was very intentional on her part and hostile even to uh, her attitude towards my interaction with anything that resembled black culture. Because it would, um, because it might increase the chances that you'd be mistaken as being anything other than white? Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah. Did your parents do anything? Because they knew the truth, which we'll learn about in just a moment. Did Did they do anything to help you help prepare you for the discrimination that you might experience once you were outside of their bubble? Absolutely not. Um, And that's one of the things I find astounding. Uh, Even when I was in my mid-20s, a couple years before I found out about my biological father and my identity, I was engaged to be married. And 
at that time, again, like there was a moment in high school at that time when I was perhaps preparing to start a family to you know, be married, um, that might have been another moment that they thought, okay, well, you know, maybe we should tell Sarah the truth uh, about her family background, but they didn't. It was as if the issue simply didn't exist. And one of the things that I had to struggle with and reckon with as I transitioned my identity was how insulated whiteness is from thinking about or even realizing the reality of discrimination that people of color face. And that's certainly not true for all people, but where, or all white people, but where I grew up and my family's attitude about race was simply to not consider that it existed. So there was no way that they would even consider how I might experience discrimination in my own life. Speaking with Sarah Valentine, she's author of a fascinating and really powerful memoir. It's called When I Was White. Um, so you go off to college, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Um, mm-hmm. You are now outside of your parents' bubble. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yet even through college, it's not until and it's not until you're in graduate school that you actually finally decide, I, I, I should probably ask the question. Why, why did it take you that long into adulthood, do you think? Well, when I was in college, uh, there was the moment where, you know, any student on their college application has to check a box, right? And that was a moment that I really wavered. I thought, well, I really wanted to check the box other. And to me, that was a definitive moment of realizing, okay, I don't know what what I am, but I know I'm not what my family has said. But again, ringing in my ears in the back of my head was what my dad had told me. It would be dishonest for me to identify as anything other than white. So at that point, even though I was out of the house, I was meeting people from all over of different backgrounds and seeing myself more in a multicultural and multiracial social group, I still still didn't... um, make that final step to confronting my my parents about my identity. And when I did in graduate school, it was partly because for the first time I had a black teacher, I had a black professor. And when others had questioned my race or ethnicity in the past, they had primarily been white people. Mm. And there's a way in which the white gaze doesn't want to probe too deeply into issues of race. So even when I gave them an unsatisfactory or probably from their perspective, clearly false uh, answer about what my background was, there, there was really no um, pushing of the issue. When I suddenly had a black mentor that I really respected and we had a similar conversation that I had had with my uh, guidance counselor in high school, I was asking about opportunities to further study creative writing. He was a writing teacher and he mentioned uh, a workshop for African-American writers. And I thought, before I say no again, that I don't qualify for this, I really have to find out the truth. So it was at that moment that I was really prompted to um, talk to my parents. I emailed my mother about it, you know, a question about my biological father. And that was what started the process of 
my transitioning identity and finding out the truth about my family. What was it that she told you? So when I finally did email my mother, I waited a week. I didn't hear from her right away. At the end of the week, I called her because it was obviously something that was weighing on my mind. And when she answered the phone, she said, well, you probably want to talk about the email you sent me. Before I tell you what happened, do you think we always loved you? And when she said that, I, I kind of felt my, my knees, you know, buckle from under me. I, you know, my chest felt hollow. I didn't know what was coming, but that preface felt very ominous. It felt like she was about to drop a bombshell on me. And that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. She told me very uh, tearfully in and in, in a very fragmented way that when she was in college, she had been sexually assaulted uh, at a party when she was passed out. And she didn't know who my biological father was. When she got pregnant, she assumed that the child was my dad's, the dad I grew up with, because they were together at the time. And so they got married and um, had me and then had my brothers and everything just, you know, kind of progressed uh, as I understood it, as they had always told me when I was growing up. Yeah. So it was very difficult to hear that. And it made me very uh, confused and upset. And at first, I didn't really know what to think. I didn't know what that meant for me. Yeah, I mean, there's the guilt of forcing this out of her. And, 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 and then, you know, ho looking for some identity and finding out that the, that your biological father might be a rapist is right. I mean, not only does it not bring any closure to you, right. but it just made, makes things worse in a lot of ways. How did you go about even, how did that affect your sense of identity? It was, it was really stunning. On the one hand, the fact that I knew for certain then that I was mixed race, that my biological father was African American, was a huge relief. And it made everything make sense. All of the uh, quote-unquote mistakes that people made about my identity growing up, I was able to put all of that together and say, okay, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't some kind of freak. I was, in fact, and am a mixed-race person, That um, and my family was just denying that identity. So on the one hand, that knowledge made all of my experience make sense. On the other hand, uh, knowing that this background was so complicated that my biological father might have raped my mother, uh, that she didn't know his identity. It brought up so many other difficult emotions and so many questions. And I didn't know what to do with any of that. How did you attempt to establish a Black identity after being white for so long and actually having been raised, as you described earlier, to think that white was normal? It was, it was a very difficult process, and because the emotions were so overwhelming and I didn't know how to deal with them, I was first drawn to exploring Black literature and art, which were my interests anyway. As a writer, as someone who had always studied literature, uh, going to books was the safest, and, uh, safest way and the way that made the most sense for me at the moment. So that was me kind of dipping my toe into... Um, how I could relate and start to uh, assimilate, in a, a sense, um, 
my own black identity, where I felt I connected with black culture, I started to experiment with natural um, hairstyles and learned about the natural hair movement. Um, my hair was always a marker of my difference. It was curly. It was uh, wild. It was something my mom was always telling me growing up to comb my hair and, and pull my hair back. And so there was always a tension there that my hair somehow gave me away. So uh, one of the ways uh, I, one of the positive ways that I helped transition my identity was through embracing that and um, caring about my natural hair. But you were having to like unlearn so much that you had been raised with. It just struck me that it's so like you can't just one day decide that oh now I know the truth so now I am black right. like now now I'm going to act black like what does that even mean right. <laughs> you know and now I'm going to like all of a sudden not have these sort of implicit biases that I was raised with because all of a sudden now I know the truth like you just can't do that right and that was another. Uh, thing I became hyper aware of was the fact that when I did identify as white, I felt like I was in that normalized group. Uh, I note in the book that white people don't go around feeling like they are white. They're just a person going through the world. But when you're a person of color, everything in our society reminds you constantly of your position, of the fact that you are somewhat marginalized of the fact that you are not the norm. And I had to reckon with a lot of the internalized racism, especially anti-Black racism, that I held myself. And that was an enormously difficult process of, again, shame and guilt and uh, unlearning a sense of self-hatred. Because when I was growing up, you asked, why did it take me so long? There must have been something unconscious in myself that maybe didn't want to admit that I was not entirely white, even though in some ways it would have made more sense for me and it was something I was longing for. But on the other hand, there was still some kind of resistance. So dealing with all of those complex feelings was a very long and very hard process. Have your parents ever apologized for lying to you all those years? They have. Uh, now, both my parents recognize my identity as African-American, uh, as mixed. I don't think they have a sense of what that really means. I don't think they have a sense of what it means for me. And as far as I know, they haven't really, or as far as they've shown, they haven't really incorporated my difference or my ethnicity into our family story. It seems as if they see it as a lifestyle choice I've made that, okay, well, Sarah's going to identify as black now, that's fine. But it doesn't really mean anything to them personally or to our family. It doesn't seem, at least in the book, Sarah Valentine, like your mother in particular ever grasps how, like, why it's even really a problem for you, right? How traumatic it, it is to have been raised white. She says at one point, if this is the worst thing that's happened in your life, you should be grateful. And also, all that matters is that we loved you and wanted the best for you. You think being black is more important than that? It doesn't mean anything. It's all made up. Like, she seems to really have, really believe that, that first of all, it was of little consequence. They simply chose, hey, you know, this is the name we're going to give her and this is the race we're going to declare for her. And... You know, it, in some ways, maybe they do it all again, that it was better for you to have been raised white because race is made up, she says. 
Right. And there was a moment uh, I write about in exasperation where she says, if you had the chance to be white, why would you give that up? Mm. And it's this recognition that of course she understands the racial hierarchy of this country. Of course she understands that uh, people of color are discriminated against and that white people have an easier time. And that if, if I could be in the superior group, why would I want to change that? Why on earth would I want to essentially downgrade my identity to being black when it would come with a whole slew of other problems? What she didn't seem to realize is that I had been dealing with those problems all along in addition to the uh, psychological and emotional disconnect of trying to live as a person who was white. And I think um, I don't have a sense that if my parents went back, they would do things any differently. Right now, when I talk to my mother about it, she says, well, I did the best I could. Yeah. If this identity crisis had come sooner for you, like if they had told you when you were, like if they had raised you to believe you were adopted or something, <laughs> or, or, you know, if, if at the age of 12, they told <laughs> you, would, would it have been easier for you to, to cope with this? I've thought about that so many times. Hypothetically, how would my experience have been different? Would it have been better? I wish that I could have had the same uh, positive upbringing that I had with my family. Because in a lot of ways, I my, my parents were very loving. They afforded me many opportunities. Uh, my whole family was supportive of me in every other way. Uh, but except for this one thing. And looking back, it made it feel like the price of that positive, supportive, loving family experience was their denial of my race. So I wondered, well, why couldn't they have been honest about my being mixed race? And as you said, maybe uh, say I was adopted or save the difficult part for later, but embrace my ethnicity and still raise me as the daughter that they loved. Um, I don't know why that was the case. Would my experience have been better or would that whole crisis have come sooner and derailed me uh, in my social development? I, I don't know. As the as the story unfolds, it becomes clear that maybe the the story your mother told you about your biological father isn't entirely as she tells it. But by the end of the memoir, it's still there's still an open question as to the truth of your biological father. Can can you resolve your own identity? Do you think fully if you never if you don't know who he is and how how he came to father you? When I was, uh, you know, asking my mother and friends of the family and extended family members about what had happened and about what they knew, uh, I got many different stories. And as you said, that uh, threw some doubt onto the story my mother had told me. And it seemed like the more information I got from the people who knew my parents back in college, who knew the situation, um, many of them knew from the beginning that I was not my father's biological daughter, but they just kept quiet about it because they thought my parents were great people and it wasn't something that really concerned them. So as I realized that it would not be possible for me to put all the pieces together uh, through getting in touch with my family and friends, there was you know, no other way I had 
to potentially track down who my biological father was other than hiring a private detective or something along those lines, which was not something I was prepared to do. So in the end, I came to feel that, yes, I do have uh, a solid identity as a mixed race woman, as someone who's African-American, but has had a non-standard uh, experience uh, growing up, someone who's had, uh, who's been on the fringe of black culture. But I came to realize that that was valid too, that there are a lot of different ways to be black. And the more I shared my story and looked um, up stories of others, I realized that this, even though my situation is extreme, there were many people who shared similar experiences, uh, who felt like they were outsiders to black culture, who had difficulty with their mixed race identity or their African-American identity. So in that way, I felt like finally I wasn't alone, that there was a sense of belonging that I had as a black woman, even if it was still troubled. And that's still the, the sense of my own identity I have. I don't necessarily think that I need to have my biological father by my side to validate my blackness, was, which was something I felt for a long time. I had a lot of imposter syndrome around the fact that I was black simply because I hadn't grown up with, with any black family or as part of any black community or black culture, which is so integral to black identity in this uh, country. So I always felt like an outsider in that way. I do wish that I could uh, know who my you know, my African-American family members are. And through some DNA sites, uh, commercial DNA sites, I have touched base with some people who are distant relatives and uh, maybe getting closer to finding people, uh, even if it's not my biological father, that I am related to. So that is an ongoing search, but it's not something that is the main focus of my life as finding my biological father was while I was going through this uh, more traumatic period. It's something that uh, I will be very happy to find out if if those leads pop up, but um, it's not my main focus. And finally, uh, Sarah Valentine, your story, as you mentioned, is very extreme um, and unusual, but what aspects of it do you think are important for us to think about at this moment in American history with regards to race? and racial identity? One of the responses I often hear and the concept of race I grew up with was, well, it's just a social construct. And when people say that, it seems to mean that race is just a label. It's a category that doesn't really mean anything. And my experience directly refutes that because growing up saying I was white and my family saying I was white and applying that label to me, if race were simply made up or a social construct in the way you know people mean it to be uh, as meaningless, then I wouldn't have had a book to write, right? People would have said, oh, you're white? Okay, that's cool. Um, and would have gone on with their day. But, and there would have been nothing to challenge my assertion of whiteness. But because race is so integral to how we in American society define ourselves and how we define and categorize others, because there is such a, uh, a long and difficult history of racial discrimination and white supremacy, it was impossible to move racelessly or 
as a white person through the world being a person of color. So to me, that signals that we really have to think about and come to terms with the stereotypes and the history of racial prejudice that still is affecting our country very much. And we must have these conversations. The biggest thing that contributed to my not knowing my race for so long was because the the conversations about race were taboo. So the more we are able to talk about these difficult subjects, the more um, open we can be and the more uh, connected we can be instead of simply denying. Because if you can deny um, you know, someone's Black identity, you can deny that racial injustice exists. You can deny your own white privilege if the mentality is simply to avoid the issue. Sarah Valentine is a scholar of Russian literature, and she's author of the new memoir, When I Was White. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So that was a conversation I had back in 2019 on Top of Mind. I have thought about it so much since then. It actually helped inspire the whole episode of our new podcast that we did recently called What is Race? (laughs) Which seems like an obvious question until you actually peel back the layers a little bit. It's episode four in the podcast feed if you want to go listen. You will hear stories that will make you think even more deeply about how we define and distinguish ourselves based on skin color and what that means for us as a society. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review of Top of Mind here on your podcast app. That'll help other people want to check us out and feel the power of thinking again. Next week, our special bonus episode of the podcast explores the unexpected challenges that so many of us are faced with as we begin to care for aging parents. I'm Julie Rose. We'll talk soon.